0: Sonos, Macy's, Exxon Mobile, Apple versus Swiss, and Casper Mattresses on this week's episode of News Entrepreneur's Experience. All right. Get started with this week's episode. Thanks for downloading this week's episode of News That Entrepreneurs Experience. I appreciate you tuning in and judging by the statistics, there seem to be more and more of you doing that each week. And it's wonderful for my ego. That was a joke. I'm kidding. It's wonderful because it means that somebody's getting some value out of this and hopefully it's entrepreneurs. I always like to give a shout out to those of you that send me messages after the episodes get published. And by name, this week, I'm giving a shout-out to Mike, who faithfully texts me and lets me know what he thinks of these podcast episodes, and um, you might be thinking, Mike, that's a pretty generic name, but Mike, you know who you are, and a special shout-out to you. Thanks for being a faithful podcast listener. I just hope you can do something with all this information. Um, I know uh, we know each other, so um, take some of this stuff and put it to good use, Mike. And for the rest of you, um, hopefully you're getting something out of this. I do two podcast episodes a week. This one is focused on breaking apart some of the news headlines that I blog about over the course of a week, and um, it's really, this sort of came about because, this podcast, this particular version of Dylan's podcast came about because i find myself giving lots of real life examples to entrepreneurs of other companies making good decisions bad decisions etc as a way of demonstrating that as entrepreneurs we're not that special i mean we're special but we're not that special with respect to the challenges that we face running a business isn't easy it's full of ups and downs and unknowns and uncertainties and and uh, there's never a dull moment and my hope is that with this particular episode, um, that as you listen to public companies and big companies that have a lot of smart people working for them, making very basic mistakes, that you can find some solace in that. That maybe you can, you know, if you think that you're maybe not the smartest guy or gal in the world, that you can see that nobody really is. At the end of the day, it's just us entrepreneurs trying to create some value by bringing people and resources together to take advantage. Um, Of providing a solution to a problem, and along the way, being able to employ people, give them meaningful work, and maybe make a buck at the end of all of it. So these episodes are meant to relate uh, to the things that entrepreneurs are experiencing as a way to help them say, look, you're not alone. There's lots of other folks going through the same thing, and uh, it's meant to either put a stone in your shoe to do something different, maybe aggravate you into doing something different, or um, it's meant to encourage you so that you know, keep going don't give up the fight. You're going to get to where you want to be. So let's get started with the first headline, uh, which I blogged about last week about Sonos. And um, people often ask me, my wife in particular, shout out to Lisa, um, Dylan, how is it you have so much to say? And the truth is I have a few guilty pleasures. One of them happens to be Twitter. And I've talked about this on past episodes before. I love listen- I love watching Twitter. Um, I'm not active on Twitter in terms of of messaging, because I just can't do it consistently or or in a meaningful way. Um, But I find it great comic relief. And uh, from time to time, there are tweets or hashtags that find their way around Twitter that I find hysterical and and have to do with business. And in in this example, where this headline came from was Sonos. Sonos put out a message to its customers that basically said, look, uh, we know that you've spent a bunch of money with us. You've bought all of our products, and you know what? We're, we're really excited about that. Thank you very much. However, we are going to stop supporting older products. So, you know, too bad. So sad. And then Twitter just erupted, and people were talking about, you know, how crappy of a job they've done, and how it was a waste of money, and how Sonos has done a bait-and-switch. You know, they get them to buy a product that's not really that old. And then all of a sudden, they stop providing updates and support for what a bunch of scoundrels and yada, yada, yada. So it was quite humorous, but that's what led to this particular blog post that I had made. And so Sonos ended up issuing an apology to, because of this backlash or in part, I think because of this backlash. And they said, look, we're going to, don't worry about it. Sorry. We made a mistake. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. Um, We didn't realize the kind of impact this was going to have. So rest assured, if you've got old legacy products, we're going to continue to provide support for it. And if we don't, we're going to give you kind of a better a better heads up so that you can make plans. We didn't just sort of trick you into spending money with us so that, you know, we could make your products obsolete so that you'd have to buy different products with us. So what I pulled out of this for entrepreneurs is that sometimes you can say you're sorry because it's like the right thing to do, or you can say, I'm sorry with an emphasis on empathizing with your customer because most customers they just simply they just want to they just want to be acknowledged they don't want to be ignored and you might think you're doing them a favor by ignoring them or not talking to them but the truth is some of the easiest wins to get in any given day is to say you're sorry as a business or as an entrepreneur and own up to whatever has transpired and look to make it right um, now I know businesses who could give two rips about this particular opinion of mine. That's not how they operate. That's not what they're concerned about. Their reputation isn't based on, you know, what their customers think of them. Their reputation is based on maybe something else. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, it does take a long time to build a reputation, but it only takes a few minutes uh, or a poor decision to lose it. And so if you're an entrepreneur slugging it out and duking it out and you've done the best job that you you possibly could do, there's nothing wrong with going to your customers or going to the folks that you've made a mistake with and just saying, look, we made a mistake. It is what it is. However, you're really important to us. And we'd like to make this right. We don't want to lie to you. We want to be transparent. Here's what happened. How can we make it right? If we can, how can we make it right? And sometimes customers, they'll just say, you know what, don't worry about it. It's not It's not that big a deal. And what you're really trying to do is make sure that that goodwill, that if, if this is important to you, Then, what you want to do is make sure that the goodwill that you've built up with your customers, um, that you're able to conserve it or, sorry, preserve it by going above and beyond when mistakes are made. And so, again, I know not every entrepreneur follows this ethos and it's not that big a deal to them. They're really good at giving lip service, but they're not that particularly interested in actually empathizing with their customer. But I have personally witnessed uh, many examples, including in my own business, where stepping up owning the problem, and just saying sorry goes a real long way. In fact, it goes so far as to saying not only do you have um, a relationship that you can count on for a long time, but you also now have someone who's going to speak positively about you in in front of other potential customers. And this is important because it's hard enough to get a customer let alone get them to talk about your business in such a way that it can generate more business. And some of the easiest ways to do that is just be a human being. Just try to get on the level of your customers, acknowledge the mistake that you've made, and look to make it right. And so as I saw this fire, this tweet storm on Twitter regarding Sonos and their decision to uh, do what they did with their products, it was refreshing to see a CEO immediately step up and go, look, we made a mistake, we didn't realize it, here's what we're going to do about it. And we just, you know, quite frankly, we just shouldn't have done it. So some of you might be going, yeah, yeah, Dylan, I do that. I already get it. I know that. I'm going to fast forward to the next headline. But some of you might be nervous about this and you might have never really had to face it and you might not realize the kind of difference uh, that it can make just being transparent. And the nice thing is that, you know, I've had the good fortune of working with some entrepreneurs. I'm working with a couple right now where, you know, they make mistakes every day like we all do. But at least the folks that interact with them know that they're at the end of the day, they're honest people and that you can rely on them to get a job done. So to me, that means something. And uh, maybe it does uh, for you as well. But let's move right along to a headline that I had titled, What Worked Then Probably Doesn't Work Now. And it's back to this. Old human behavior exercise of checking your ego as an entrepreneur, which I have an incredibly hard time doing. I, if you know me at all, if you if we've ever had coffee or had a conversation or or shared a bite to eat, you'd know that I'm not real good with authority, and um, I'm not sure many entrepreneurs are, at least the ones I've met. Um, but ego, you know, ego is something that can definitely get in the way. Um, can definitely get in the way of you being honest about where your business is at. And so what drove this particular headline for news and entrepreneurs experience is that Macy's has decided that they're Macy's, the big, the big, big retailer uh, in the US in particular, that they're going to be closing 125 of their stores over the next three years. And they're going to be refocusing on smaller stores inside of strip centers. And again, I've talked about this on a couple of episodes but it seems that retail is moving away from like this big box model into kind of smaller, more intimate settings where the the company can do a better job of interacting with customers. And so Macy's is kind of looking to do the same thing. They're going to they're going to move away from what their business model uh, used to be, which was going into these large format stores, but they just can't get the economics to work anymore. And so they're going to, they're kind of doing like a whole refresh over there, but they're basically going to reduce their costs, store, you know, store, uh, do a bunch of store closures, consolidate their workforce. Cause they've got their, you know, scattered redundant workforces all over the place. And they're hopefully trying to put some traction, you know, underneath their, their bus and get to, to wherever it is they're going. And so it just had me, had me thinking that, as entrepreneurs, when we do when we do experience some sex success, again, I happen to be one of those where I had a moment uh, of success, uh, but I wasn't smart enough to realize that it had come to an end much sooner than I had acknowledged, and I was kind of riding on yesterday's victories to help me win tomorrow's battles, and that just it's just not a good strategy. Um, so what I what I what I'd written uh, last week was trying to be honest with yourself and say what unique strategies or tactics uh, was your business using that are no longer as effective today as they used to be. But the key to it was understanding how did you figure out those strategies in the first place? What was it that caused you to say, aha, this is something we can do from a marketing or a sales perspective or an operational perspective or what have you. Um, When we did this, it worked really, really well. And we've been riding on that wave for a really long time, but it's not working anymore. So using the same the same kind of methodology how how could you find the next unique tactic or strategy that you could use? Uh, I believe that nothing under the sun is new, that everything's been done before, um, and it'll be done again. But the key is to figuring out what could your business be doing in a new way that caters to kind of the tried and true patterns or behaviors that your customers have. so if you had a unique strategy or tactic at one point in your career, there was something that caused you to come up with that. It might have been luck, but I doubt it. I think you were probably either uh, desperate or you just started doing something and then it kind of led to something else that led to something else that led to a really great strategy. It may have gotten old and tired. Um, or it's not producing the same result. But what caused you to get there? How did you come up with that strategy or that tactic? And could you use that same thinking again, or the same logic or methodology, whatever you want to call it, uh, maybe to come up with a new way of doing whatever it is that your business does so that you can find new customers or new revenue, or grow your revenue base. And it's just that reminder that if you did it once, you can do it again. Um, you know, the variables might be a little bit different. You might not be quite as desperate. You might not, you might have more to lose today. But underneath the decision that you made historically, there was some rationale that you used that you could probably use again. And so it just made me, as I was reading about this Macy story, it was just so blindingly obvious that, you know, big box was a thing. And it was a thing for decades. And now it's kind of not a thing. You know, we're going back to the old days of, artisans selling um, their wares inside of small shops in a village. I, I realize that's not exactly what it is, but you know these things all kind of circle around again. So the market in retail is moving back to, towards this highly customized experience with um, highly unique products. Big box, kind of one size fits all, doesn't really work anymore. And I know there's economic reasons for that, which You can, you can search on Google and find out why Uh, it is fairly interesting, but there is some, some very fundamental reasons why the world went to big box retail and now why it's reverting back to, you know, smaller footprints. So in your business, what's kind of the repeated pattern, uh, your business did X, uh, did it well, had a unique hook. Now business, your business is doing Y, and you're going to maybe need a unique, uh, hook or strategy to do that. and, And what could it be? So hopefully you find that helpful. Okay, moving right along. ExxonMobil. This one was, man, this one was like a tough one uh, to type um, and to post out there, mostly because my father-in-law spent his life working for uh, Imperial Oil, which is a a company owned by ExxonMobil. But forever and a day, ExxonMobil has been top of their class. Biggest company by valuation in the marketplace forever. And I don't think anyone could have foresaw a day, certainly not in my lifetime, where ExxonMobil, which just for for um, an interesting, useless historical fact, is actually Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller's um, Standard Oil of New Jersey, first company that he, or one of the first oil refineries that, that he started and bought and, and grew, uh, today is ExxonMobil. So Anyway, we're, <laughs> I'm not sure what you get from that. But um, ExxonMobil, forever, massive company, really smart people, run really well, most valuable company in the marketplace. No one ever saw them not being anything more than the most valuable company in the world. And guess what? They don't even make the top 10 now. In fact, I think at the time that I wrote the blog, they weren't even top 20 companies in the world. And their value, the value, the math is you know $184 billion. But the point is they've lost like a lot, a lot, a lot of money and what it, what it helped me to remember to share with you fine folks uh, on this week's episode is that when you're at the top of your game and your business is the best in its market or you're having just run a run of success you can make the mistake of thinking that the party's never going to end that you are you know that you've got the golden the golden touch or the Midas touch as they call it um But there's like kind of this basic principle that says, you know, the further away you are from the last bottom, the closer you are to the next one. And that can be economically, that can be personally, that can be professionally, that can be a whole bunch of things. But the point is that you can't continue to experience an increase in value without experiencing bumps along the way. And the fewer bumps you have, the more you'll have further down the road. It's just how it works. And I think, quite frankly, that's what makes business exciting. And so, you know, ExxonMobil, top of their game. They made a bunch of poor decisions. Um, They are, um, their business, even though they've, you know, kind of got all the smartest people in the world working for them, they got pension plans and all that other sort of stuff, their business just isn't firing on all cylinders. And that's their words, not, those aren't my words. Those are their words. And it's watching its margins erode. It's also made some you know, some poor bets. Uh, it was late to get into shale gas, which is kind of a big deal if you're an oil company. Um, it also just hasn't done, um, uh, it just also hasn't done a very good job managing uh, the other internal kind of operating divisions that it has. So it's just, it's kind of got its work cut out for it. That doesn't mean anything other than maybe today you buy ExxonMobil because when its share price is beat up, fundamentally businesses do, businesses like this I think do rise out of the ashes and you know there's something obviously there's a great business underneath all of this they're just having a tough go but um as an entrepreneur you know it can get tough to not drink your own kool-aid um especially when you're the one pouring it into a cup and, and drinking it um you know it's hard to see your blind spots if you aren't looking for them because when things are good there's no sirens going off. There's no alarms going off to tell you that there's aspects of your business that that are being overlooked, um, and you can't really know everything. And, and the challenges that your business is going to face in the future are probably already brewing underneath the surface. You just you just don't know about them. And so the right response isn't to live in fear, but to looking to be looking around if you want to be a prudent entrepreneur and say what could change our circumstances. It's contrarian thinking because when things are going well, you literally don't have a reason to say what could change your circumstances. But if as an entrepreneur, you can develop the habit of just paying attention to the market, paying attention to your customers, paying attention to the trends that are happening, um, you might, you might, you might see some blind spots, you might be able to see some of those things that could affect how well your business is doing uh, today. And maybe even when you could see the party coming to an end, and what impact that's going to have to your business and your customers. It's not to say that again you, you stay under the bed sheets in the morning and you don't get out and face the world. But uh, if you are drinking your own Kool-Aid, recognize that there's going to be a day where the mistakes that you're not you don't see right now, or the problems that you you can't see right now, that they're going to pop up and they're going to they're going to bite you and it's going to hurt. And that's fine. You know you'll hit the skids, you'll uh, bounce back, you'll recover. Um, few entrepreneurs do. About fifty percent of them do. But um, you can get ahead of all of that by paying attention to a guy like me that has made all those mistakes and can tell you that I didn't have to make them. I just needed someone to tell me to take my head up and just think through for a minute. Um, you know what could have made my business go sideways? I, my head wasn't even in that space, uh, much less I was. I mean, I wasn't even contemplating it. So. That's on me. It's my business. I made that decision, but take it from me. Spend some time thinking about what could change the circumstances in your business so that you can at least think through what you would do if those things were to actually happen. Apple versus Swiss. You can always do more. Um, Jumping kind of right to the punchline on this particular um, um, blog post was that uh, Apple had sold... 31 million Apple watches in 2019, which would represent about 30%, a 36% increase from the previous year, but it was compared against the Swiss watch industry. So think Swatch um, and Tag watches, which sold an estimated 2.1 million watches, which was a 13% decline in sales from the previous year. Again, the idea here is I'm not a a stock analyst. These numbers uh, may not be perfect, but they... I think they do point to um, something that entrepreneurs should be aware of. And it's kind of like I'm familiar with some businesses in the past year where you sort of go, it just is what it is. You know, this is what we do. This is what we sell. This is how our customers buy from us. This is how we deliver our product, our service to the marketplace. That's just all there is to it. There's nothing else we can do. You might be correct, but you might also be incorrect. So the chances are 50-50 it could go either way this article and and the performance of Apple watches proves that, you know, Swatch and the Swiss watch industry would say it just is what it is. We are only going to sell 2.1 million watches. And then Apple comes along and says, nah, we think we could sell more than that. In fact, boom, 31 million watches sold. So clearly watches weren't going away. They just needed to change and to morph And Apple was able to not only take market share from the existing market, but more importantly than that, which is what I always stress with entrepreneurs, is to try and find a new piece of the market that isn't participating in the rest of the market right now. And so in the the case of these Apple watches, there's a younger demographic that wouldn't even consider buying a watch from Swatch or kind of a conventional traditional watch they uh, want to. They want a, a smartwatch. They want a watch that does more than just tell the time. It, it's more than just. Um, it's more than just um, something for their wrist. It's more than jewelry or an accessory. It's a functional part of their life. And Apple uh, has been able to crack that code. The Swiss watch industry hasn't. And so, when you think about your business, you can of course just say, "This is how it is. This is how it's always been. And this is how it's always going to be." However, if for a minute you are prepared to consider how you could change, adapt, improve, or tweak what it is that your business does, not necessarily to cater to existing customers, but is there an opportunity to find maybe some new customers? Apple, Apple found a younger demographic. So you might go, Dylan, that's like an easy one. It's electronics, it's a watch, it's all these things. Of course, Apple was able to do that. Well, even as boring as your business is, there's always a different way to present it. There's always a different way to create a narrative with your marketing and your sales efforts. There's always just a different way to take what you have and repackage it and represent it to the marketplace. And I can tell you right now, I'm involved with a business that is in the process of doing that. Um, They've done business a certain way. They've hired people a certain way. They've they've delivered uh, the service that they do. Um, to a certain type of customer. And we are spending the next couple of months looking to really turn that upside down. Not because it's an interesting intellectual exercise, but because we believe that the market has changed so much that someone is going to do this if we don't, because it's just too obvious that there's there's some improvements to be made, there's some costs to be cut, and there's an entirely different way to package and deliver what it is that this, this particular business has done for almost a decade. So it's worth it. You know, I stay tuned. I'll probably provide some updates um, as these episodes go on and on. But uh, to the extent that your business isn't leading um, the market or a niche in the market over time, it's just going to find that its bottom line and its margin is eroded. And so if you want to protect your bottom line, if you want to protect your margin, stop, take a minute to consider that maybe there's a different way to do what it is your business does, or maybe there's a different way to deliver what it is your business does, or maybe there's a there's some improvements or some more value that can be added into what your business does so that you can, A, continue to cater to existing customers, but maybe, just maybe, you find some new ones that your competitors haven't found and certainly can't service the way you could. So take that <laughs> for what it is. Hopefully, there's, there's something in there. Um, and then kind of keeping along with um, this idea of humility and if you heard, you know, if you listen to this whole episode and you heard the first thing I talked about, about saying sorry and empathizing, there was a posting here in the last couple of weeks um, that Casper Mattresses, the online mattress company, of which I think is amazing. I think that's kind of a classic example of taking something that's old and tired and traditional and really turning it on its head. I mean, who, who would have thought somebody would roll up a mattress, put it in a box and ship it to somebody's house? and do that more than once. I mean, do it to the extent that there are copycat companies doing it and Casper's going public. I mean, amazing to me. Totally amazing. I think that's what makes business so incredibly exciting. Anyway, they need money because they got to grow. They got to expand their market share, pay their overhead. And they've just got lots of opportunities sitting in front of them, but they need money to do that. So they're going to sell some shares. They're going to go public. And originally they thought they were going to issue their shares at kind of 17 to 19 bucks. At the end of the day, the market was saying, nice try. We get it, you're a cool company, but at the end of the day, your, your shares should probably be somewhere around 12 to $13, which means they were, they, if that's the price it goes out at, they're going to raise about $260 million less than they were expecting to. However, because they're prepared to get their share price right, it means that they're going to be able to execute on hopefully what is a successful IPO. Now, there's always a balance to be struck about being optimistic. About what your business may be worth, and then being practical about what others perceive it to be worth. And in my experience, I think that entrepreneurs overvalue their company because there are nuances in the business that don't come through um, on a business plan or on a cash flow projection. It's just things that the entrepreneur knows about their business. They just they just know the marketplace, you know, kind of. uh, they just they just have a better sense of the market. They have a better sense of their customers. And because of that, they have confidence that the things they're going to do are going to work. Um, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But oftentimes there's this disconnect between what an entrepreneur thinks their business is worth and what others may think. Now, this is important if you're an entrepreneur looking for financing. Because if you think your business is worth X amount of dollars, or you think that you can borrow X amount of dollars, you're doing that on the basis of how you perceive your business, as opposed to how the market of banks, lenders, or investors might perceive your business. And so um, everyone else looking at your business is going to look at its history to determine what the future might look like from a kind of a reasonability perspective, whereas entrepreneurs don't, don't look at their business that same way. They basically say history was the price we paid to get to where we are now, but from where we are now, we can take this thing to the moon. It's going to be amazing. That's what every entrepreneur says, but there's a balance to be struck there. And so if you're out trying to find financing right now, um, a little bit of humility in terms of keeping your ego in check, not being insulted when someone else who's considering the value of your business doesn't see it the same way um, that you do, um, because you... uh, I don't think it's unreasonable to sit on the same side of the table um, as them and go, okay. I'm going to be a little bit measured here in how I present my business to you, so that a I can get the funding I need, but I'm not going to be you know um, so measured that I leave a lot of money on the table. That's kind of that balancing uh, part, and so you do want to find a banker, a lender, and investor that can see what you see, but but don't fault them if they don't see exactly what you see and they don't buy into it the way you do. And quite frankly, if if you just don't believe what I'm saying, then just go do your thing and see how successful you are. And chances are, you're going to bang your head against the wall because it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard if you're not the entrepreneur to to envision and to believe that what your business has done historically, it will do disproportionately better in the future. That's just an unreasonable expectation. Um, to put on someone that's writing a check into your business, whether it's through a loan or whether they're buying some shares or giving you some equity, whatever the case might be. So in the case of Casper, they could have held at 17 to 19 bucks and maybe raised all the money they needed, but equally they could have not. And so I guess we'll just see how that plays out. But it just led me to, uh, again, remember in this episode to talk about the fact that being reasonable and being measured in how you talk about your business Um, and how optimistic you are, you know, recognize people are going to use your history to look at the future, whereas you probably see your history as just the price um, of playing the game uh, to get you to where you are now. But man, you're at the starting gate, and you're just going to take off. So I get it. Trust me, I've been there. Um, But if you really do want to access financing, then you do have to figure out how to throttle um, your expectations and uh, try to line them up with what someone on the other side of the table might be considering. So that's all I've got for you today. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of News That Entrepreneurs Experience. If this was at all worth it, please make sure to rate it, to share it, drop a comment. I'm easily easily reachable on LinkedIn and recently on Facebook. So make sure you check that out. And uh, to the extent that you interact with this content, it ends up getting it in front of other folks who may be entrepreneurs that could benefit from something that was said here today. What I've learned is, From the feedback that I've gotten so far, um, the reason I pick such varied topics is because um, the topics just seem to land with certain people on a certain day in a certain way and it was really what they needed to hear. So hopefully that happens with something in this week's episode. But um, enough said. Thanks for tuning in and hopefully um, you'll join me again next week.